We're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 4. I'll give you just a little bit of the uh, feel of the passage before we, before we read it so that you can know what you're listening to as you hear it, if you haven't heard it before. This is already, like I said, God's people are in uh, Babylon. This is about 600 B.C., maybe now. It's probably a little bit later than that, maybe 550 uh, B.C., um, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian Empire, a great ruler. He's been dealing with uh, Daniel, a Hebrew, uh, and, and his companions. Um, and what you see in this passage is that uh, um, God decides to give a dream. He, he takes Nebuchadnezzar, who is the greatest ruler of the ancient world this time, uh, and he gives him a dream to show him that Nebuchadnezzar's not the one who's in charge, uh, that God is. And he shows that through him. And there's consequences. Daniel interprets that uh, to him. And this whole uh, passage, Nebuchadnezzar comes to see it by the end of it, and this whole passage is recounted as a letter or proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar made in his kingdom um, honoring Daniel's God, honoring the God of the Bible, honoring the Hebrew God. Here's a Babylonian uh, king uh, saying that the... (coughs) Um, <clears throat> saying that God's kingdom is the true and eternal uh, kingdom. <clears throat> so listen to those things as you, as you uh, hear this passage, and um, I'll take you through it. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who is named Belteshazzar after the naming of my God, and, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, Because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the middle of the earth and its height was great to the end. uh, Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from the heavens. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree. And lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. 
Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be, made, be changed from a man's, and let a beast mind be given him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom were not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree which you saw, which grew and became strong so that, it top, so that its top reached the heavens and was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from the heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair 
grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord. Uh, Sometimes reality is disturbing, right? Um, Just take, for example, Justin Bieber. Right. Uh, enough said. I need to say say more than that. Um, uh, if that's not enough, then just the, the recurring popularity of boy bands in general. Uh, I understand with the Beatles, you know, like the Beatles were, were impressive. They went on to show something. Maybe not the early hysteria, but uh, but then you, you have like New Kids on the Block that I remember. Yeah, I don't know about. Uh, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, One Direction now, like all this. I don't, I don't get it. Um, it's disturbing to me. Maybe not to you. To me, it's disturbing. It's disturbing about reality. <laughs> uh, maybe more seriously, uh, the state of poverty in places around the world. Uh, is, is a disturbing reality of existence, of what really is there. Uh, the prevalence of Internet pornography use, the effects that it has on us uh, sociologically, sexually, uh, the existing of, of existence of human trafficking, even in the United States, uh, in the present, uh, or even something like the staggering level of our national debt. Right? These can be disturbing realities. I mentioned Beavermania. Right? It's just, still, it gets me. Um, Sometimes reality is disturbing. Uh, This passage speaks about one of those aspects of reality. uh, Because it tells us this, that God is completely in control of everything. It's part of the message of the book of Daniel. God is completely in control of everything. And, And that can be rather disturbing. Right? Even to a lot of people who disagree with that statement, they still find that statement really disturbing. Uh, and I want to get into that. Um, this is one of the points of the book that the book of Daniel has already made and, and really makes kind of every chapter along the way. You can see it uh, maybe succinctly in chapter 2, verse 21. It says, he changes the times and the seasons. He, he's in control of time and when things happen. It says he removes kings and sets them up. I'll see that in this passage. Uh, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And the things that are there, they come uh, from him. Uh, it goes on. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light uh, dwells with him. God's completely in control of everything. Um, 
So it's a long narrative that we read, but I don't want you to miss uh, the point of the chapter. Uh, this God's in control. You see it at the very center of the chapter. You can look in verse 17. It actually gets repeated uh, several times out through here. Uh, but in verse 17, as the angel uh, is... <coughs> Is, uh, as the angel is speaking this, um, or we're hearing the, the, the words of the angel in the dream, verse 17, it says, uh, To the end that, or for the purpose that the living may know. May know what? This is the purpose of this event that's going on. That may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. He gives it to him whoever he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. God's in control of all of it. Whoever we think's in charge, God's in charge over them. Uh, and he moves people up and puts them in the position uh, that he gives them. This is what we see in this chapter coming from Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. Like, honestly, this is incredible. This is the king of Babylon, Israel's uh, enemies, uh, God's enemies, and so many times who's heard from God, been given messages from God in this chapter of a decree of what he says, praising and honoring uh, the Most High God. Right? He says in verse 35, uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. God's kingdom endures from generations to generations. All the inhabitants of the earth, there's nothing to him. He, he's the one in control of all of it. He does whatever he wants. Among the host of heaven, whatever we think is in charge up there, and all among all the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can even say to him, what have you done? He doesn't answer to anyone. He's completely in control. We're going to go through this passage, and I want you to just kind of ask yourself, what do you find uh, disturbing uh, here uh, in this passage? Um, and I think there's things that, that we, we do. They, they shock us. Um, we have to figure out how to relate to it. What do you find disturbing here? What do you find disturbing about reality? What do you find disturbing about God being completely in control in the way that this passage describes it? Um, and also in that, uh, you might... Also find what's disturbing about you. Not only what you find disturbing about this passage um, or about this reality, um, but what that means is going on with how you view reality. Uh, three different sides that we'll, uh, that we'll go through in looking at, uh, looking at this passage. Uh, disturbing ease, uh, ease and prosperity that it talks about, a disturbing mind, uh, and disturbing words. You have, it's kind of tracking generally through the passage, but you have some of those verses uh, particularly that are in there. Uh, so first, uh, disturbing ease and prosperity. Uh, when we read this chapter, we realize that God's in control is doing something that's this disturbing ease and prosperity, right? Maybe you experience that. You're like hanging out, you're watching a movie, you're having a good time, and all of a sudden like the power goes out. It goes out like in the middle of the movie. You want to be watching the rest of what happens. And you're like, ah, oh, my movie's messed up. Like what's going on here, right? Disturbing ease and prosperity. You're hanging out with friends. Sorry, you have, you go to Moe's, you go over to Aladdin's or wherever, you're, you're chilling for a while, it's good, you're relaxing, no worries, carefree, you happen to check your email, Blackboard or something, you realize like, oh, that test you thought was next week is actually tomorrow, <laughs> right? All that, all that ease and comfort just like shot out the window right now, or you're like, it's not tomorrow, right? It is, it is later, it's not midterms yet. Um, um, maybe you're <clears throat> just cruising down Tennessee streets, nice day, you're heading out going camping and all of a sudden, crash. Right, other car hits into your car, and that's going to destroy your your day, your week, your car. Not not pleasant. Right? We don't like it when things mess with our ease, our comfort, our prosperity. Um, but here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's at ease. It says in verse four, right? Um, he's at ease in his house. 
He's enjoying the good life of a king. And the king of Babylon is a, is a good, good life. Uh, he's prospering not just in his house, right, in his palace. Um, he's got, like, not just HD, he's got 3D TVs in, like, any different room that he wants to go to, right? Um, he's got restaurants in his house that he can just pick where in his palace he wants to go to and who he wants to have serve him and what he wants to enjoy. He's prospering, he's at ease, and then he has this dream. And that, the subject of the dream, the experience of it, alarms him. Uh, he is troubled. He even says that he's afraid. He's the king of Babylon, he has a dream. He's afraid from it. Doesn't know what to do with it. The dream messed with his life of ease. It shook him up. Um, and it's not just a bad dream because he watched a horror movie and then he went to sleep right afterwards and, you know, or he ate something weird and it's just going to come back in your dreams. God's speaking into his life. God's revealing it to him, telling him something about reality. God's telling him something about himself. He's telling him that, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm over you. Uh, I'm over your kingdom. And all of it actually depends on me. And that's disturbing. Um, it's disturbing to Nebuchadnezzar. He calls out his wise men. He's like, all right, this is why I have you. What's going on here? Explain it to me. Uh, and hopefully make me feel better about it. But explain it to me. Nothing. They can't do anything. So again, he brings uh, Daniel in. Uh, Daniel interprets the dream for him. He's able to tell him the truth of it. This dream disturbs his ease and prosperity. God being in complete control of everything uh, messes with our comfort. Uh, because we like our comfort. We, we like being able to enjoy some, some ease and prosperity. We're, we like all the things we get to enjoy. Um, I like my Nexus 7. You like your, your iPhone or, or, uh, or your car. You like being at FSU. Uh, enjoying the people that you get to hang around with. Um, like playing video games or just being able to search on the internet and find out what you want to find out. Um, eating out, etc. We, we enjoy the things that we that we enjoy, and we enjoy it so much that we don't know how to live out live without most of it. And the fact that God's in control means we can't be sure that we're going to get to keep enjoying it. That it's all of a sudden tentative, it's all of a sudden written in pencil. Uh, we're afraid that God can take it away. And maybe even more than that, and this is part of what we see uh, in Nebuchadnezzar is the, the vanity of it. Uh, more than that, we think that the stuff that we have says something about who we are. Right? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's impressive that we get to enjoy these things. We want, it, we want our stuff to say, look at me. I've got it going on. Check me out in my rod. Check out this new phone that I got. Um, how was this store? I've got these clothes that I'm wearing. I'm looking good tonight. Right? We want to say, look at, look at me. There's something good going on about me. Um, right? It's part of the reason why it's called vanity, because it's empty. There's, there's nothing to it, no foundation or substance to it. Um, but we want that to say something about us. And if God's actually in control of it, if we don't have any say in it, if we get to experience it but we can't bring it about or make sure that it stays there, we, we can't sit as easy in it. We're a little less comfortable. Um, it messes with our comfort. But, but oftentimes, our life of ease should be uh, what's disturbing. I think it is what's disturbing. Often, it should be what's disturbing to us. I think what, part of what you see in this passage is that it is, uh, our ease is part of what's disturbing uh, to God. It's disturbing God's created order. It's disturbing the principles of his kingdom. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. This is what scripture is saying. Is God is that everything that happens has actually happened under God's rule and in God's kingdom. And he set principles for how he wants it to go. And that's peace and justice and righteousness. Um, 
And, uh, and oftentimes that's not what's going on uh, with us. <laughs> We're often living in a way that's denying God's control and trying to make it about us. That, that we're at the, the center of it. It's disturbing when we sit in comfort and ease, watching a movie, wasting time, while other people work and get hurt and are oppressed and starve and live in poverty, and we don't think about it or do anything about it or care about it. That's disturbing in God's kingdom, and that's part of the reality of our life. Um, <clears throat> When, when Daniel's in, in, telling Nebuchadnezzar what this dream means and what is going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, it's a call to repentance. It's a call for Nebuchadnezzar to change his ways. Right? You see in verse 27, he says, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, living consistent with God's kingdom, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Then maybe perhaps there'll be a lengthening of your prosperity. How does Nebuchadnezzar have all the glory uh, that he has? Off the backs of others. Uh, There's oppression that's been the foundation of his kingdom and oppression that is part of the way that he rules his kingdom. And Daniel, in this dream that God gives him, God is calling him out of it. Uh, The king's ease was on the back of slave labor, violence, and oppression. Uh, And we tend to be far too self-absorbed to notice the ways in which that's true of us. That's disturbing, which that's true of our society. Um, And that's not the way God wants for us to live. Uh, Disturbing ease and prosperity. But it goes deeper. Disturbing ease and prosperity, and then secondly, uh, disturbing mind. A few things, really, a few things are more unsettling than someone's mind, like actually not working right. Uh, mental illness, right? When whatever synapses are misfiring, or however we understand that, when you see, like, even just if you've, you know, whether you've experienced that, people that you've known, uh, or just, you know, interviews you've seen, split personality or mania or whatever, when someone's mind's actually not making sense, not functioning, the reality that they're aware of is not the reality that the rest of us are aware of. Um, it's, it's scary. It's unsettling. Um, that's what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar here. Uh, God makes him inso- insane. For a time, um, he's crazy. Or for for seven times, it's an unspecified amount of time. Um, the uh, uh, the technical name for the disease that they think that Nebuchadnezzar has is uh, was it lycanthropy, um, where you think you're an animal. Uh, and, and apparently, there's several uh, numerous recorded instances in ancient history of people behaving uh, this way. Um, you, you stop thinking you're a person, and you think that you're an animal. And you wander around outside like an animal. And it, you got to imagine in Babylon, like, here's the king Nebuchadnezzar, like, no one go out in the field. Don't let anyone see this, right? Um, don't let them recognize who this is. Um, but for Nebuchadnezzar, he has no control over it. Uh, in his mind, he thinks he's just a beast of the field. He thinks he's a cow. He thinks he's an ox. And he's wandering out there for whatever, seven periods of time, seven years, whatever it might be. Um... It's a disturbing thing. And I think sometimes it's it's deeply unsettling to us that God can mess with someone's mind. I'm not in any way saying that mental illness is always something that God is using to teach a lesson. This is is a weird situation in Scripture. That's not generally what's going on. Um, But but that God ever in history messed with someone's mind, we don't like. 
What's, how, can, that's not, how can God just do that to Nebuchadnezzar? Where, who says that's okay? Right? Where, where does he get off? <laughs> Even though Nebuchadnezzar says, no one can say, what have you done? We want to say, what have you done? Um, and the idea that, that God's control is in control even over our thoughts and our desires, it's kind of incomprehensible, right? Even just intellectually, uh, we don't like that. It's disturbing uh, to think that God's in control to that degree. Uh, what we tend to act like is that full humanity uh, is being able to think rationally, aware of ourselves and the world around us, uh, emotionally connected and making our own desires and our own choices uh, set in our own destiny. Uh, we think that full humanity is tied to our autonomy, tied to our ruling ourselves well. And God interfering with that would be to take away something of our humanity. Um, <clears throat> God seems to have a different view of it. Uh, the Bible seems to have a different view of it. It's, it's this. Instead of our humans, full humanity being tied to our autonomy, our own ruling of ourselves, our humanness is tied to our dependence on God. Um, that we're creatures of him as our creator. We're not just any old, old creature. We have a special relationship with God. He describes uh, every single person as being made in his image. Uh, reflecting him, having a special relationship with just in that, a, a sonship uh, and a dependence then on him. <clears throat> now, maybe what should be more unsettling is how much our minds can deny that reality. Um, right? Many, many deny the existence uh, of God or dis- disapprove of his actions. And I think oftentimes we act, even our actions show that we, we're living as if God isn't real, or as if he isn't active or doing anything or in control or care, that we can get away with whatever because we're not really in his kingdom and it doesn't matter. Um, God makes Nebuchadnezzar insane. And I want you to get this. He makes him insane in order that his mind can think correctly. The reason he makes Nebuchadnezzar insane was because his mind wasn't working right and God is helping his mind make the right connection. And that's, this is what the dream uh, brings out, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's mind was disturbed before he went crazy. You, you see this? He's walking around on the roof of his uh, palace, uh, <coughs> verse 28, 29. Um, <coughs> he's saying, look at this uh, royal Babylon, all that I have built. Um, you know, like, really? All by, all by yourself? That's, that's really Nebuchadnezzar. Like, you built this whole thing. How many hours did that take you? When were you out there doing it? How, how heavy were those bricks? You have that kind of carpentry skill? I didn't, I didn't realize that, really. Um, his, his mind wasn't thinking correctly. Yeah, I know. Well, he was over in charge of it. That's all he's really saying. And he's saying, this is from me. This is for me. This is about me. Um, and he's dismissing everyone that was part of that project, that did it, the slave labor that did, did the work, the expertise that went into the managing of it. Uh, it's not insane. It's not... A, his mind isn't working right there. He's, he's, he's denying large parts of the reality of how that's built. Um, we're just pretty comfortable with that because we do it uh, a lot. Um, he talks about the glory of my majesty. All this is for the glory of my majesty, right? Um, okay, I mean, he's king of Babylon. It's, it's, how did he get to be king? His, his dad was king, right? Uh, it, was, it was handed down to him. He's just another guy. Honestly, strip it all down. What's true about Nebuchadnezzar? What's true about anyone? He's just another guy. 
And why is he there? Because that's the way that God, who is in control, orchestrated things. But the whole deal is that Nebuchadnezzar is saying, no, it's about me. This is a sign of who I am, of my worth, of my greatness. And this dream with the tree illustrates the whole thing, right? There's this, there's this tree, it reaches up to the tops of heaven, seen over all the earth. All the different animals are getting their food from this beautiful tree with all of its fruits. They're spending their time in it, the shade, and that there's pleasure in just being around this tree, right? Birds of the heaven, all the beasts of the earth. Uh, and, and what is this tree? It's Nebuchadnezzar. Right? And this was, there's examples in other ancient Near Eastern literature of like this was part of the way that they, this uh, a common metaphor for, for a kingdom. Right? This is Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom and how it supplies all the others around him. How the beauty is his, the, the abundance, all flesh gets their food from it. Right? Um, so he's the tree. Um, the shade, the majesty of it, that's all a description of kind of his kingdom. So, so what, are these, what are these birds that are there? What, what are these beasts of the field that are getting their shade and getting their food from it? They're, they're all the people who are in his kingdom and who are dependent on him. Even maybe the surrounding kingdoms, the Israelite kingdom. They're just beasts in the shade of the tree that is him. It's the way that he thinks of it. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar refuses to admit that he stands in the shade created by God's kingdom. And he says that, uh, he wants to say he owes everything. He doesn't owe it to God. It's just to himself. So, so what does God do? God takes that illustration, takes that picture, and says, let me show you who you are. If that's your metaphor, if that's your view of reality, then I'm going to show you where you fit in that view of reality. You're the beast of the field. Who are in my shade, and you get your food um, from my kingdom. You're within all uh, that I do. Um, God makes him think he's a beast of the field until he gets it. Until he gets it. He's a beast of the field in the kingdom, the eternal kingdom that is God's. And he lifts up his eyes to heaven and acknowledges that. Right? And that's when his mind is no longer disturbed. You get it? As he recognizes that God is in control over him and over everything, and God's the glory, and God has the eternal kingdom, that's where his mind isn't disturbed anymore. Because it's right. He's seeing reality appropriately uh, under God as a creature dependent on God, and even having all the things that he has uh, from God. It's our mind's denial of reality that's often more disturbing. Where would we be actually without God? God's really in control over all these things. Disturbing ease and prosperity, a disturbing mind, uh, and thirdly, disturbing uh, words. Right? Words that are said can have some of the deepest uh, effects on us, whether that's positive encouragement, the way some people have spoken into your life, uh, evaluating you, letting you know your strengths, maybe motivating you. Uh, that some of those things can be formative, just to who you are, what you realize you can do. On the other side, the, the harsh accusations, uh, the put-downs, uh, the lies, the betrayal, deception, the gossip, it's destructive. Words are supposed to be consistent with truth. Words are supposed to be then consistent with, with reality. Uh, and this whole chapter is the words from the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar, um, which is fascinating. Uh, the Babylonian king ruled the ancient world. He's, he's got no reason for allegiance to the Hebrews' God. 
Right, really, he has no reason that he should be honoring their God. No reason that he should, humanly speaking, have any respect uh, for him. Right, his, his gods from his empire conquered that god uh, in, in their uh, kingdom. So, and he sends this open letter of confession. And it's, it's not exactly one that makes him look good, right? I was insane for seven periods of time, and but now, now this is the way I look at things. Um, I mean, you can Im- imagine if someone like... Uh, um, Christopher Hitchens or some great atheist, right, goes, goes mentals in an institution for, for a while and then gets better, and when they come out, they publish a book on God's existence, um, right? Uh, but this confession of God's control sometimes disturbs us. Um, to say that the greatest people that we look to and who we think have the most and we want to be like them, we, want, we envy what they have, uh, that they're under God's reign. Whether they admit it or not. The things they have, they have because of, um, because of how God is ordering his kingdom. Um, all right, the whole point of this event you get to see in Nebuchadnezzar's words and his admissions uh, that are for the rest of us to see it, right? You saw that in verse 17. It's, it's not just for Nebuchadnezzar to know that the Most High uh, rules over the kingdom of men, but that the living... Because here's the king over, over all the earth, over the, over the living... And, for him to see it and for him to tell everyone else this is what's true. Uh, for all of us to get the gods in control over our life, um, over FSU, over what's happening in America, over what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, uh, it gets repeated from Daniel's interpretation. Uh, it gets repeated uh, again. Uh, and you see the opening of the letter, the close of the letter, how great... Our God's signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar says. His dominion, not mine, endures from generation uh, to generation. Uh, At the end of the passage, Nebuchadnezzar even says that the reason that he had any glory at all after that is because of dependence on God. My reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. Counselors, my Lord, sought me. I was established my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me uh, by God's hand. Um, praise, honor, extol the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Uh, that pride is what's disturbing. That pride is what doesn't fit uh, with reality. Elsewhere in Scripture says God uh, opposes the proud that gives grace to the humble. When we think it's about us and what we've got and the ways that we can make for ourselves, it's as if God is standing on the other side uh, preventing us, opposing us. Um, as we recognize that we've got no way to even be able to make it forward in this life, um, He lifts up the lonely, the lowly. He gives grace uh, to the humble. And we should recognize it's more disturbing uh, not to admit these words. Uh, the denial of the reality of God that, that God did this in history. Uh, this is a historical event that it's pointing to. Uh, that, that in the book of Daniel, it predicts the kingdoms that are going to come after Babylon. Um, that, it, that it predicts the eternal kingdom and his eternal Christ that would destroy those things and reign uh, forever. <clears throat> Some things in reality are disturbing. Um, way more ways than be remaining. Um, and reality is, reality is disturbing to us when? When we've blocked it out. 
When we block it out and says, no, that's not part of what I want to view, uh, that's not what's going to make sense to me. When we pretend that there is no poverty, then when we hear about it or see it, um, it, it's shocking to us. Or no hunger or no human trafficking. Or when we pretend that, uh, that teeny boppery girls have good taste in music, then we're surprised by why that's there. We expected it as if that was going to be good quality. Um, when we pretend that we're running the world well on our own, then reality is disturbing uh, to us. But God, God interferes. Because he's running all of reality. It's not really that he uh, inter- interferes, but even God enters history himself. What would be disturbing most is if God didn't. When we were left to ourselves. Because then there'd be no hope uh, and no rescue and nothing but what we could create for ourselves or do for ourselves and who could get on top and make other people serve them. Instead, God enters history um, to serve. Uh, to take on our suffering, uh, Jesus says, uh, to care for us even when we deny him and reject him, Uh, to be punished for us uh, when we think that we're better off without him. Uh, While we still hated him, Christ died for us to go through death in order to save us, uh, to rise to new life as the one uh, who can rescue us, to establish his kingdom that's never-ending and give us a place in it uh, with him. So there's a comfort from the disturbing reality. There's comfort from this. There's a disturbing reality that God would be willing uh, to love us. But it's the kind of disturbance that we want to enter into our reality. Uh, that we can know that God would be willing to love us when we've rejected him. Uh, to cover over our mistakes and take that blame on himself and give us uh, a place and honor and delight uh, with him. You see the way it is in this kingdom? He, he, he does all this to Nebuchadnezzar. And he's not rejecting Nebuchadnezzar. He's not even just throwing Nebuchadnezzar out. Uh, there's this piece of bronze and iron placed over that stump, and the idea is that the stump can't be completely chopped out. Because the kingdom is going to be uh, preserved and returned to him. Uh, What God was doing in Nebuchadnezzar's life was uh, preserving him, uh, turning him, changing his mind where he could see the glory of the Lord and begin to follow him. Whatever all ways that looked like. Um, God disturbs our life and enters into it uh, to call us closer in toward him and following his kingdom the way he has set it up for us. uh, With Christ as the king. With us getting to be his followers and the benefits of that. But he demands that we look to him, that he's our hope and our rescue, uh, and not ourselves. Uh, because the reality is, we can't do it. And the reality is that he has done it for us in Christ.